What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. One of the most common misconceptions that the that I hear, like particularly from you know non-vegans, is that it's a restrictive diet, um, and I've heard that term used so much, even in like healthcare resources, and um, it's it, it's not a restrictive diet. I mean, for most, veganism is actually an opportunity to 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 eat more, you know, explore a range of different foods, different fruits, vegetables, grains, pulses. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Hey, veggie lover. Welcome back to Veggie Doctor Radio. Today, I speak with Andrea Reimer, and she is actually a dietitian with the Vegan Society in the UK. So we have a really fun, interesting conversation. Remember that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment by a healthcare professional. So if you have concerns about you or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, please consult a healthcare professional. Who is Andrea? Andrea is a UK registered dietitian who chose to study dietetics to combine her love of food and cooking with nutritional knowledge. She has specialized in hospital catering, learning disabilities, and weight management. She is now using her catering and dietetic skills to support the work of the Vegan Society. Andrea is registered with the Health and Care Professions Council and is a professional member of the British Dietetic Association. And in this episode, we talk about the Vegan Society, the OG. So this This is where the term veganism even came from. It's been around 80 years. So we talk about what they do, what kind of programs they promote and, you know, why they do the the work that they do. We talk about Andrea's vegan journey, how, what it was like being a dietitian as a, you know, being a vegan dietitian before her work here at the Vegan Society. And we talk about trends in the UK for veganism, grocery stores, restaurants, those kinds of things. What she thinks is the most common misconception about vegan diets. 
why she sees people struggling when they transition to a, a vegan diet, what the most common reason is for that, and what the top reason is that people quit a vegan diet. We also talk about what vegans can do to support new vegans in their transition and what new transitioning vegans can do if they feel like they don't have enough support around them. So it's a really great episode. I think you get some good tips, especially for people that are starting this journey transitioning to a plant-based or vegan diet. I think this is a really great episode. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening week after week. I appreciate you so much and welcome to my new listeners. I hope you love it and find something that will empower you and inspire you and maybe also share it with your friends and family. So thank you so much. And now let's welcome Andrea Reimer. Andrea Reimer, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you for having me. I am really delighted to have you here today. And my family and I, we were in the UK last summer. We went to England, Scotland, and Ireland. And I know that, you know, when I've done presentations and done research on veganism, the vegan society is a very important part of our history. So I'd love to know what is the vegan society? How long has it been around? And currently, what is the mission of the vegan society? Brilliant question. So yeah, the, the vegan society, um, we're a registered charity. Our role is to raise the profile of veganism. We're actually celebrating our 80th anniversary uh, next year. So it was founded in 1944. Um, and we actually coined the term veganism, which, you know, kickstarted a global movement. So each year, our mission is to help more and more people to go vegan, to stay vegan. Um, using a positive approach towards hopefully a future world in which humans don't exploit other animals. So some examples of the way that we do this is uh, we have a vegan rights movement. So we uh, we advise people on vegan rights, um, you know, to tackle discrimination. So anybody that might be discriminated against on the grounds of veganism in their workplace or, for example, children in schools. So we do have um, a rights organisation that do help um, with those. We run a variety of campaigns. Um, so a few examples is Plate Up for the Planet, which um, focuses on carbon emissions, you know, uh, reducing your carbon footprint through diet. Um, vegan and Thriving, which is very health focused. So how to follow a well-balanced vegan diet um, and thrive on a vegan diet. And another uh, campaign is Live Vegan for Less. So it's all about sort of eating a well-planned vegan diet on a budget. Um, we also strive for policy change. So we raise a lot of key issues with UK politicians. Um, one example is Playfair with plant milk. Schools in the UK, children get a free issue of cow's milk. So what we planned to do, what we tried to do, was um, to get that extended to, to be plant milk as well for anybody that chooses um, to follow a vegan diet. And uh, it was actually successful in Scotland, um, so somewhere that where you've visited recently. But unfortunately, not in England yet, so we're still working on that. Also, we tried my trademark thousands of products um, including cosmetics clothes uh, food and drink so that always makes it easier for you know people looking for vegan products our trademark is quite visible on packaging uh, for thousands of products and also um, myself I work for the nutrition team so we provide evidence-based information resources and answer any nutrition related queries cover a lot of different areas where we can raise our advocacy and just kind of move the needle, try to make an, an impact in the exploitation of animals. And 80 years, that's a long time. And it feels like it, you know, veganism, of course, 
the term has only been 80 years, but it's been around for longer than that. But it just seems like it should be more than 80 years that it's even been a term, especially now how it's picking up. Well, I'd love to know about you a little bit more personally. So where in the UK are you from? And tell me a little bit about your vegan journey and your work as a vegan dietitian before you came to work for the Vegan Society. What was that like? Was it ever a struggle, especially being vegan as a dietitian? Yeah, it's funny because I actually listened to um, one of your episodes with with Brenda Davis and um, I could relate a lot to sort of her journey with veganism from working, um, you know, as a dietitian and working within that industry, which a lot of the time can be quite heavily focused on animal protein. And sometimes, you know, you do have reservations with bringing veganism into that um you know, speaking about it with your colleagues and things. So I could definitely relate to that. So yeah, just to start off with, with me, I'm I'm from Birmingham, which is actually where um, the Vegan Society, um, our office is based. Obviously, we're a global um, organisation, but we're actually based in Birmingham in the UK, um, which, which is where I'm from. Um, I currently live in Hinkley, though, in Leicestershire. So it's 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 not far, but um, yeah, still Midlands. And yeah, so I went vegan in in 2014, um, and it was when I was studying to to be a dietitian. So I hadn't actually graduated at the time. Um, so before I started studying dietetics, I actually worked as um, a commie chef in a hotel, quite a busy hotel actually. So um, yeah, worked um, in in a lot of the different kitchens, so from buffet to fine dining to um, you know the 24 hour bar um, with bar snacks and things. So yeah, um, and I chose to study dietetics because I had an interest in nutrition and I wanted to combine that with, you know, my love of food and cooking with um, nutritional knowledge and, you know, to help people to eat well. Um, So during my studies, I was scrolling on Facebook one day um, when I should have been doing my coursework and uh, I actually caught a clip. (laughs) I caught a clip of um, a documentary called Earthlings, which is, it's quite a disturbing documentary. It's... um, I don't know if you've you've seen it. I'm sure a lot of you listeners might have heard of it. Um, and yeah, what it does is it you know it exposes the meat and the meat and dairy industry and the fishing industry. I'd only caught a clip of it, um, and just straight away, I, I, you know, I had to stop eating meat, um, and I went vegetarian. But then after a few months, I thought I, I need to watch the whole thing. Um, so yeah, then I watched. You, you know, obviously, I saw the horrific. Um, footage of the fishing industry and the dairy industry and yeah I committed to you know a vegan lifestyle in in 2014 and I was actually on placement um, on on a work placement at the time throughout my studies Um, yeah so then I graduated in 2015 um, and I worked in a number of different settings actually so I've worked in um, in a community setting with adults with learning disabilities so that was a lot of um, tube feeding um, and a lot of the, the you know, the feeds that, that do go through a tube are, are, are not, you know, there, there actually isn't a vegan um, feed available. So, yeah, a lot of them are milk based. Uh, the closest thing to a vegan feed is, is a soya feed, um, but it, it still does have vitamin D, animal derived vitamin D in it. Um, so not suitable for vegans completely. And and a lot of the time it does depend on clinical circumstances, whether whether um, people use that that feed. So. Yeah, there was always sort of barriers between, you know, my beliefs and um, my my practice, you know, my professional practice. I also worked in weight management and hospital food services as well. So um, in hospital food services, I was able to, you know, um, increase a bit more of the plant-based options on the menus by talking about, you know, the health benefits and uh, and how to also um, 
incorporate more sustainable eating onto the menus. So that was that was great. Um, and then, you know, although I was helping people to manage their diets, encouraging a lot more plant-based eating to support health, my role still never fully aligned uh, with my own beliefs. So then in 2000, uh, sorry, in 2021, so um, two years ago, I, I started at, at the Vegan Society and I've, I've learned so much um, since being here. And I just feel so fortunate to, to be on a platform where I can share that ev- evidence-based information on vegan nutrition. And then last year, I even had a baby, uh, a baby boy in February last year. So, you know, I've now got that firsthand experience of raising a vegan child, um, which is always a controversial topic. And and I'm just glad that I'm in a position where I can provide that reassurance and, you know, um, to to vegan parents that we we can raise vegan children healthily and that, you know, they can follow well-balanced, well-planned diets um, without compromising our beliefs. That's amazing. What a journey. And you've had such a diverse background, which is good because it gives you perspective as well and helps you see the reality of the world, especially I feel that seeing hospital food is very sobering. And my husband, he is a hospitalist only. So he only works in the hospital and he's constantly complaining. He's also plant-based and he's constantly complaining about how there are no health promoting options in the cafeteria. Everything's fried. There's bacon, this there's, you know, like everything has meat in it. And you would think that it should be the opposite, right? Like the hospital cafeteria should be one of the healthiest places to eat in the town, but no, it's like, in some ways worse. So Mm -hmm. it's good to be able to see those perspectives and see what people are challenged with in our society, that it's, it's for them, it seems extreme because everything around them is like the opposite of what we're promoting, right? Like health promoting plant foods, but everything around them is like, not that. Definitely. And, and, um, I know in the UK as well, a lot of the nurses that would do the night shifts, the the cafeterias aren't open. So they'd have to rely on, you know, vending machines and convenience foods or even sometimes ordering a a pizza in or something if they they wasn't prepared and didn't have their own lunch. Um, So, yeah, it's definitely um, something that needs to be improved in in hospitals, the the staff catering. And um, actually, when I worked in food services, we, we was trying to do that and we was um incorporating a lot more plant-based meals um just just to meet health targets it just so happened that you know to meet those whole grain targets and and to meet that um saturated fat target a lot of the plant-based meals just naturally fit fit that criteria so that was really interesting and and you know it did take a lot of um education and convincing chefs to to incorporate those meals because you know, a lot of classical chef training does use animal proteins and, and animal ingredients. And, you know, there can be that resistance from from some um, chefs that are just used to that way of cooking. Yeah, definitely. It's just what they're used to and what they've known. The Humane Society of the United States here, you know, in the U.S., um, they do this really cool training where they go to universities and they go to hospitals and they train the chefs there to learn how to incorporate these plant-based foods. And I know that one of my friends, one of his big pushes is to try to link up the actual industries that are producing the food with the 
companies that are having to buy this food to mass produce, like hospitals and university, big cafeterias, because the supply chain thing also mm. needs to be figured out. If for a long time they've only ordered, you know, ground beef, ground beef, ground beef, they may not even know that these other options are available. The pricing, the storage, it's like all these different systems need to be thought of before we could just say, put more plant-based options, you know, so it is complex. Um, also, I just want to congratulate you on your baby. And I'm not sure if you saw the recent study that showed that they compared the breast milk of vegan moms to omnivore moms. And they found that vegan moms produce just as much choline and B12 and, you know, nutrients as omnivore moms. So when I saw that study at first of all, I was like, oh, good. I'm so glad that, you know, that's something that the public can trust. But then I thought, well, duh. I mean, this whole time we're drinking the milk of a cow and the cow just eats grass. Mm -hmm. So we're trusting the cow that's only eating grass to have all the nutrients. But then if a mom is only eating plants, somehow it's going to be deficient. Isn't that wild that we even worried about it when the whole time we're just like cow's milk is the best. The cow is just eating grass the whole time. Yeah, that definitely. I haven't actually come across that that um, study, so I'll be interested to read that. That's that's really good and definitely, obviously, a step in the right direction for us. Absolutely, just released in the past two weeks, so it's new. I'll send it to you. Okay, brilliant. So, Thank tell you. me about in the UK. I know being in the UK was so wonderful. I it was so I felt like it was pretty easy in England, Scotland, and Ireland to find plant-based options easier than I thought it was going to be. I saw that there was definitely a trend for more, but you live there. You're part of the vegan society. What is What are the trends like there um, in reality for people adopting a vegan diet and the availability of vegan alternatives in grocery stores and restaurants? Well, it, it's definitely improved since I became vegan um, in 2014. And it's a lot harder to, you know, get... Um, I suppose commercial products um, with the latest data that we have in the UK is from 2019, um, which shows that 1% of vegans, uh, there are 1% of vegans in the UK. And that's around 600,000, um, which has more than doubled uh, since 2014. So we expect that that trend has, has further increased um, today. And most supermarkets, you know, they do have vegan staples such as plant milk, um, tofu meat alternatives even vegan ice cream and a lot of the cheaper supermarkets are having this as well which is really good um, to tie in with our live vegan for less campaign so we know that we can eat plant-based on a budget um, eat vegan on a budget so um, yeah you can buy your vegan staples for much much cheaper and there aren't many places now where you can go without a vegan offering to be honest so a lot of um, chain restaurants in particular and pub pub sector catering so as we mentioned in hospitals or um councils workplaces you know um they're they're definitely increasing their plant-based options and a lot of it is to sort of meet their sustainability targets um, as well as health targets so um yeah it, it's it's really good to see um we're not obviously we're not quite where we want to be but definitely definitely improving um yeah in the uk steps towards a better future definitely, for sure yeah and uh in the uk the plant milk market is is booming like we we account for um about 15 percent of the total european market um 
And then that's that's estimated to double by, by 2025. Uh, the same for, for meat alternatives. So uh, we, we account for, um, the UK accounts for almost 30% of the total European market. Um, and seitan was one of the fastest uh, growing meat alternatives. And that's popular in Chinese restaurants. So Wagamama's now, they've increased their plant-based options. They have a lot of meals with, with seitan in there. And then also, um, you know, reasons why people are sort of turning to these things uh british consumers actually view that reducing uh the consumption of animal products is is a great way to lessen humans impact on the environment and we know that you know a a vegan diet is one of the single biggest ways that you can reduce your carbon footprint and again that's that that ties into our campaign play up for the planet where we're looking at um we sort of comparing an omnivorous diet to, to a vegan diet and how much um, a difference that makes with your carbon footprint. So, yeah, um, the UK is definitely um, kind of leading with the with the vegan market. And we actually have um, one of my colleagues at the Vegan Society. She's from um, San Diego and she was explaining sort of the difference of um you know, UK versus US uh, vegan market. And she, she did say, you know, the, the UK is kind of leading the way there. So, yeah, it's it, it's really good for us. Yeah, I have to admit that on social media, I'll be scrolling and there'll be like an announcement on one of the vegan, you know, pages about some product. And I get super excited. And I'm like, yes. And I'll look, I'll be like, only in the UK. And I'm like, why only in the UK? So it does seem, of course, that's like a biased view because, you know, it's what I'm seeing on social media. But sometimes it does seem like, Y'all get everything first and then we have to wait a few years and then we start getting it. So that's really, really interesting. What do you think is the most common misconception about vegan diets? Um, I think one of the most common misconceptions that that, that I hear, like, particularly from you know non-vegans, is that it's a restrictive diet. Um, and I've heard that term used so much, even in like health care resources and um, it's it, it's not a restrictive diet. I mean, for most, veganism is actually an opportunity to 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 eat more. You know, explore a range of different foods, different fruits, vegetables, grains, pulses. Um, you know, going vegan can allow you to experiment in the kitchen, enhancing your cooking skills, experimenting with different flavors. I mean, I know that I'll definitely um, eat a much more variety of foods now than I did you know when I was before I was vegan and I think that that's a a lot of people um can relate to that since going vegan so you know um making creamy sauces from protein rich ingredients like silk and tofu cashew nuts you you just you just get a bit more um experimental and and yeah it's far from restrictive a vegan diet is anything but restrictive so I'd love to hear people um stop using that phrase for for, um, a vegan diet because it's just simply not true. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. And it's one of those things that you're raised in a paradigm. That's how you see things and you don't really know the other side until you start exploring it or you live it. And it just hit me one day when I was doing research, I was going through like all the different categories of, you know, different foods like legumes and, you know, I was doing different kinds of fruits and things like that. And I found that there's over 4,000, no, no, there's more than that. It was like over 50,000 edible plants. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for each category, like over 400 legumes and like thousands of fruits and vegetables and all of these things. 
And then I was kind of counting, okay, how many different animals do we eat on a regular basis that we're raised on? You know, it's like, okay, we eat chicken, we eat beef. Um, some people eat pork, some people don't eat pork. Um, we have eggs, we have dairy. I was counting it really, if you have what would be called an adventurous diet, you may eat about 10 different animal products mm-hmm. compared to like thousands of plants. I mean, how is that restrictive? It's not, <laughs> you know, it's actually exactly. better for your microbiome. It's more fun for your palate, tasting some of these things that you aren't tasting or, you know, the textures of these different plants. You know, it's just, you know, even just thinking about mushrooms, like the different flavors and textures of different mushrooms and the hundreds of different mushrooms, it's definitely not restrictive. So that is a mm-hmm. limiting belief. That is a paradigm shift that we all need to start making. And I 100% agree with you. Well, what do you see people struggling with the most when they transition to a vegan diet? What is it that they're needing help and resources with when they're first stumbling their way to adopting a vegan diet? Yeah, I think a lot of people, they'll dive into veganism for the right reasons, but not necessarily plan accordingly. And obviously, it's a big lifestyle change. Um, So with any lifestyle change, it, it does require planning. So with veganism, you know, nutritional planning is key. So, you know, if you if you don't plan accordingly, you can you can end up removing big food groups without without choosing nutritious alternatives. So, for example, um, replacing meat with vegetable alternatives such as mushroom burgers or, or you know, jackfruit meat alternative. And they, they, these are vegetables, you know, they don't they don't hold the same nutritious value as, as meat. So we need to make sure that we're making those um, smart swaps. But and by not doing this, you know, people are failing to meet protein energy needs, not fueling the body correctly, and then you know could could end up being really tired, fatigued, even even uh, missing out on minerals such as iron and zinc, which which are found in a lot of plant proteins. So you know, leading to deficiencies, lethargic symptoms, and and that's not a concern for people that are following wild plant vegan diets. So the message about wild plant vegan diets does need to to be out there. Um, and obviously, the Vegan Society um, has a lot of resources for that. We've got nutritional overviews to show how, how you can follow wild plant vegan diets. So, you know, swapping your um, meat for plant proteins, legumes, nuts, seeds, beans, pulses, um, tofu, seitan. You know, there's so many plant proteins that, that you can replace meat with. Um, and we know that, you know, that the British Dietetic Association and the American Academy of, of Nutrition and Dietetics, they support the message that that wild plant vegan diets can support healthy living um, in people of all ages. So so any beliefs against this um, are always challenged. So, you know, I don't know if you've ever caught media headlines. Like we see them all the time. Like a journalist has tried going vegan for two weeks or something and then just lists all of the symptoms that they had and why they had to eat meat and dairy again. And and it's just simply not true. It's just because they haven't planned accordingly. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Yeah. And I will say that there's probably, I I see a few different things happening there too. 
first of all, there's genetic differences in volume of food and, mm. you know, the, the tolerance that people have of volume. So I've never, ever had a problem with not eating enough. Okay. So I'm going <laughs> to tell you right now, like my body is very good at telling me how much to eat. And probably I go over a lot of times, you know, so I never had that problem when I transitioned that, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry and fatigued. No, because I ate enough and I was eating, you know, nut butters and beans and dense foods because my body tells me that that's what it wants. So I think yeah. there's a difference that some people have these preferences or they're just not volume eaters. So when they change from a diet that's more calorically dense and they're just like, like, oh, vegan means salad. And so then they get filled up on, you know, low calorie density foods. They're not able to tune in and they're feeling fatigued and hungry and not good. And it's just like you were saying, they don't have enough energy. They're not putting enough energy density in there. The other exactly. problem I see is when people have macronutrient phobia. So we're, I know in your society there too, the Westernized society, Right now it's carb phobia, right? Like nobody wants to have carbs. 75% of whole plant foods, and if you eat a whole plant food diet, it's gonna be like 75% carbohydrates. So then if you're gonna try to switch and you wanna avoid quote carbs, yeah, mm -hmm. you're gonna end up eating a lot of low calorie density vegetables and you're not gonna get enough energy and you're not gonna feel good. So I think whenever we head into a vegan diet, we do have to be mindful of eating a variety of foods, the fruits, vegetables, whole grains, but also beans, nuts and seeds, the lentils, making sure that we're getting those more energy dense foods and not just eating a bunch of fruits and vegetables and thinking that that's going to be enough. So I definitely see that as well. Definitely. What would you say is the top reason that people quit a vegan diet? Um, I think, again, lack of planning, resources, lack of support from from friends and family. Um, so, you know, despite an increase in, in vegan products, we're still a minority. Vegans are still a minority and public health guidance does does reflect this. Um, so with many health initiatives, then they're, they're not fully vegan inclusive. So sometimes it can be hard for people to get that information, you know, to follow well-planned vegan diets. Um, obviously, as mentioned, the vegan society does have all of this information. But if people are not aware of us, um, they, or, or of you know other reputable resources, then they could end up uh, not following a well-planned vegan diet, not meeting their nutrient needs, um, and then and quit. As as I mentioned, we've seen all these media stories of, of journalists doing it, and sometimes people then that that stereotype then gets reinforced um, when people read these these things and like, oh well, I feel like that as well, so I'm going to quit. Um, so yeah, if somebody's not fully equipped or supported, then we won't do things correctly and that can lead to failure. But I think the important thing is, is with any life goal, um, you, you focus on your reason for doing it in the first place. So I think what a lot of vegans do have in common is, is that we do have compassion for animals. And sometimes that's, you know, the key reason for, for, for um, choosing to go vegan in the first place. Many of us aren't born vegan, so it will take a t um, sometimes come to grips with a whole new lifestyle, a whole new mindset. Um, and that is going to include times of relapse. With any lifestyle change, we're going to experience times of relapse. And I think it's just a case of being kind to yourself, not giving up and exploring the reasons of, you know, why we why you relapsed in the first place and how can you overcome those barriers next time? Um, and, and again, looking for that support. 
Absolutely. Oh, that's very wise. And I was thinking while you were talking is connecting with the why, because there's a reason that a lot of people are like, you know, I want to try this, whether it's for the animals or for the environment or for their health and longevity, going back and connecting to why, why did I do this? problem solve. Like it doesn't have to be like, you know, just like anything in life, when you're learning a new sport, when you're, you're not going to get it perfectly the first time, it's not going to go just like smooth. Like you knew it your whole life. It's not going to be like that. In those situations we're all like, okay, how can I do this better? But sometimes when it comes to diet, I think people get so scared. They think they're doing the wrong thing. So they just completely abandon ship. It doesn't have to mm-hmm. be like that. Reach out, get resources, problem solve, connect back to that. Why write down your goals revisit them, take baby steps. And kind of like what you were going, what you were saying, going back to that is it doesn't have to be all or nothing either. I think that some people think, oh, I failed. So I'm just not going to even do anything. So I'm just going to go back to exactly the way I was before. Okay. Maybe I'm not going to be able to quit dairy right away, but I'm going to try to quit quit meat first. Or maybe I'm just going to start with breakfast and then next week I'm going to add lunch. And then the week after that, I'm going to add dinner. And then after that, I'll, I'll work on how do I navigate social situations? You don't have to do it all at once right away, tweak, problem solve and get resources. But I think connecting with that, why, why do you really want to do this? Why does this align with your values? Why are you feeling moves and called to do this. There is a reason. So I I love everything that you said about that. Speaking of support though, because that is a tough one. I hear this (laughs) a lot because we're such a small population. Most of the time, the majority of people around us are not going to be vegan. (laughs) So that makes it hard for some personality types. I don't mind making waves. I don't mind rocking the boat. I'm a bold person. Not everybody's like that. So Tell me, first of all, what can us, you know, more experienced veteran vegans do to support new vegans in their transition? So that's one question. The next question is for those new vegans, what can they do if they feel like they don't have support? Yeah, I think um, to answer your first question about how we can support vegans, I think it's being transparent, um, you know, sharing your experiences. How did you overcome barriers? Um, I'm sure a lot of us have. Um, relapse at times I don't even know if relapse is is the correct word because but you know sort of compromised our veganism for uh practical reasons or um and the definition of veganism does actually uh recognize that it is what is possible and what's practical and that differs individually um so and as you said it doesn't have to be all or nothing straight away start with small changes have vegan breakfast for a week the next week, add on vegan lunches. The next week, add on vegan dinners. So, you know, experiment with different um, ingredients in the in the kitchen. You know, get your cooking skills up before you commit fully to a vegan lifestyle. You know, just just become fully equipped. And um, yeah, we can all support each other by sharing recipes, sharing our experiences, sharing resources. Um, there's a lot of you know vegan social media groups that you can join for support. I'm actually um, a part of a few UK. Uh, vegan families and parent groups uh, and actually US ones as well um, and and I find those really helpful um, for support because it just shows that you're all going through the same the same experience and and it it, it can be difficult at times um, so yeah get getting that support from from vegan groups vegan organizations um, and yeah as I said it, it doesn't have to be all or nothing 
Um, so to start off, Mike and Smart swaps, as we said. So maybe you just want to replace milk with calcium fortified um, plant milks uh, or replace meat with, with plant proteins, you know. Just starting off with maybe removing food groups and replacing them with with plant alternatives just to see how you get on with that. And we know as well that, you know, making a complete vegan transition um, in a short space of time, we're getting so much benefit, beneficial fibre and soluble fibre, but um, that can that can be a lot for our guts to handle. So sometimes doing it slow and gradually is, is, um, is, is better for our bodies as well. And, and as I said, share recipes with each other for balanced recipes, actually. Um, Vegan and Thriving is, is a really good um, uh, campaign to follow, um, a good place to start for, for vegan recipes that we we can guarantee that they're nutritionally balanced. Um, there's even like batch cooking for families. So, yeah, just, just checking out what resources are out there and, yeah, having a plan before before you make that commitment. You're very right. We live in a great time in that even if the people right around us aren't vegan, they don't understand why we're doing what we're doing. We can access technology. We can get on social media. We can find groups. There's lots of groups that meet and have potlucks and things like that. Mm -hmm. And that's a great way for people to feel supported and find community as they transition. I know that when I first started, that was super important to me because I knew no vegans. It took like a couple of weeks before I met the first vegan, <laughs> I was like, hey, vegan friend. And she brought me books and told me about documentaries she recommended. Um, and then I ended up, because I live in a small town, I ended up having to start my own group. And now it's a you know, growing group on social media as well. But you can do that too. If you can't find a group, start your own group. Exactly, <laughs> and you will be yeah. surprised that people, people will come out and find you and join your group. So yeah. uh, I think there's a lot of people that are looking for that community. And yeah, and a lot, a lot of my friends are what? not vegan as well. And, um, you know, the other day, just the other day, I cooked, I cooked a, a vegan curry. So I did like um, potato and green bean curry and um, chickpea and spinach curry with some chapatis, some rice. And um, none of my friends was vegan that, that ate it, but they all wanted the recipe after. So I think, yeah, sometimes just just including your, you know, your non-vegan friends in your journey um, can, can help people maybe persuade people not not to go fully vegan but at least um dabble in 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 a bit of veganism as well <laughs> for want of a better word i mean it's amazing you never know what that little planted seed is going to do mm -hmm. you know just being kind just sharing your food I think food is just one of the best ways you know because i think that's what people think is because they're like yeah, I don't want to exploit animals. I don't. That doesn't align with my values, but I I can't eat cardboard and grass my whole life. That's what they're thinking, right? I can't yeah, eat. Yeah. It's going to just, I just can't do that. There's no way. And I can't give up cheese. But if you, if you offer them this delicious food, I mean, I have people tell me all the time, oh, I could easily go vegan if you would just cook for me all the time. Like, it's not that hard, y'all. Like I literally make the simplest food ever. And it's, it's delicious. So mm. sometimes you just never know what that little planted seed, it's going to start growing in somebody's mind. It's going to open up that possibility of like, maybe this is more possible than I thought it was going to be. Or grow feed for and animals. And animal products only contribute to 80% you may be of the calories. So a couple of years later, they're what like, guess what? Inefficient I decided I'm going to go vegan. And you're like, um, yes. <laughs> so that's one of the best feelings ever. Andrea, what do you wish more people knew? 
I think um, I'd like people to be more aware of where their food come from. So, you know, the whole process from, from farm to four. For example, 77% of ag- agricultural land globally is, is used to farm animals. Also, agriculture and livestock farming, they're the biggest contributors to greenhouse gas emissions, deforestation, biodiversity loss, soil pollution, and as well as, as land and water use. So, you know, just just for people to be a bit more aware of what their eating behaviours um, are contributing to. And, you know, for example, a global switch to vegan diets would reduce foods land use by 76%, greenhouse gas emissions by nearly 50%. Um, and I know these are just kind of figures and a lot of the time this, this doesn't mean anything to people but because um, they're just kind of um, statistics. But, yeah, I, I just think, for example, um, knowing where your food comes from. As I said, my reason for going vegan was was watching that documentary and being aware of the practices, um, at, you know, slaughterhouses and 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 even the, the um, just the industry altogether, like intensive farming and yeah. Um, I think if a lot more people was aware, it, it it might and it was more transparent, then a lot of people would change their eating behaviours and then. You know, that then leads to, um, with the supply and demand, it leads to government change, food system change. So, you know, it all starts off with, with us. Um, and I just wish that that people would, would be more aware of that. Obviously, organisations yeah, like, so of course, like the Vegan Society and, and a lot of vegan influencers. So um, there's a vegan influencer from, from the UK called Earthling Ed. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of him. He's, I, I think he's quite mm-hmm. global now. But, you know, people, uh, vegan influencers, organisations like ourselves, we're, we're committed to this. So we do believe that change will happen. Um, it's just a slow process. Yeah, that's so powerful. And I think it does start with recognising it. You know, I speak to a lot of guests that they made their decision when they were children, but it took several years, even when they were children to make that connection. But once they made the connection as a child, it usually was at the dinner table, right? When they were, when they were casually said, oh yeah, that was the chicken you saw at Aunt Betsy's house or whatever. And the child was like, wait, what? <laughs> what? Nobody's told me this. And then suddenly they were like, yeah, I don't stand for this, you know? And so a lot of us, we haven't made that connection. We, we're blind. We're completely separated from that piece of meat at the store and the animal that it came from and the whole process it takes, not just causing so much immense suffering for the animal, but for our planet, for the workers. I mean, there's just like at every step of the process, there's issues. There's issues that break our hearts. If we knew, if we were to know the issues, it would break our hearts. So I think you're right. I think it is how how can people open their hearts to learn more about this? And then once they learn about it, what steps would they like to take to start making change? Yeah. Well, Andrea, this has been really great. I would love to hear a little bit more about you. I know you have a little one, so it makes it a little bit hard to have your own time, but do you have a morning routine? And if so, what is it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have a semi-morning routine. <laughs> um, so that, yeah, that involves obviously the little one. So um, I'll get up with him. What He probably gets up about seven. Um, so I'll make him some breakfast, give him his vitamins. Um, 
and then I'll have a cup of tea. Um, so I, I actually drink Red Bush tea now. So when I was pregnant, I stopped drinking caffeine uh, and now I've just stuck to that and I actually prefer it, uh, the caffeine-free tea. So yeah, so I'll, I'll um, have a cup of tea, give him his breakfast, take him to nursery and then I'll come back and have my breakfast. So maybe overnight oats or, or um, sourdough toast with, with peanut butter and banana or something like that. But me and my partner actually take it in turns with the morning routine. So sometimes I'll get up with him and, and sometimes my partner will. So if I'm not getting up with him, I'll try and make use of that time to, you know, get out and go to the gym. Um, and I usually do like a circuit class or a body pump or something. Um, so, yeah, that that's that's my morning routine. And then obviously um, I remote work for the vegan society. So after I've sort of sorted my morning routine, I, I'll then log in for work. Get your day started. I love it. That sounds fabulous. And I love how you share the duties with your partner so that you can also have that time for self-care and your movement, things that are, are going to contribute to your well-being and longevity. That sounds wonderful. I love it very much. Well, Andrea, can you tell us where listeners can connect with the Vegan Society? I know you've talked about a lot of the resources, but maybe just briefly cover again the resources that they can find um, and how they can apply them to their lives. Um, so we've got a range of resources on well-planned vegan diets. Um, so vegansociety.com forward slash nutrition. We've got nutrition overview um, where people can, you know, compare their diet and notice if there's any obvious nutritional gaps and, you know, where they can um, fill those in. Also, many of us have been hit by the cost of living crisis. So again, our Live Vegan for Less campaign can can help vegans on a budget to eat nutritionally balanced um diet and some of the plans for the campaign this year include a series of cook-alongs um student shopping baskets and menus and summer barbecue recipes so you know following that campaign through our website is is, is a good way to sort of keep on track with your vegan journey but yeah vegansociety.com forward slash nutrition is is where you can find out um, more about wild plan vegan diets i love it Okay, last question. Leave us with your top three ways to optimize nutrient intake on a vegan diet. Um, so as mentioned th throughout, uh, making smart swaps. So, you know, replacing animal foods with, with alternative sources of nutrition from plants. So swapping animal protein for quality plant proteins, cow's milk for calcium fortified cow's milk and, and you know, oily fish for um, seeds rich in omega-3. My second top tip would be to eat a rainbow of fruit and, fruit and vegetables. So, you know, you're getting the nutritional properties from each. So, for example, your green leafy veg, you're going to get your vitamin K. Your, your orange coloured veg, you're going to get your carotenoids for vitamin A. And, um, you know, berries, peppers, citrus fruits, they're going to be a great source of vitamin C. And vitamin C also helps with iron absorption. So eating vitamin C with your plant proteins that are rich in iron can maximise that absorption. Um, and then lastly, make sure that you supplement accordingly. So remember, things like B12, um, it's, it's not found in plants. So the only reliable source would be from other fortified foods or supplementation. Also, most plants don't need iodine or selenium for growth. And vitamin D, its primary source comes from sunlight. So, you know, if, if, you, not, if you don't have access to sunlight, then um, all of these nutrients will be hard to get from a vegan diet alone. Um, so supplementation should be carefully considered. And we actually market a supplement that's specially designed for vegans that contains all the nutrients um, that deserve attention, what I've just mentioned, and that, that's called Veg One. I love it. Yeah. And I did a whole series on nutrients of concern for vegans. And one thing that a lot of people don't know too is that your skin color can affect how much vitamin D you 
are producing from the sun as well. So mm-hmm. if you are more fair, it might take less time. But if you are darker in complexion, it could take more time. And especially if you're very mindful of not overexposing yourself to the sun because you want to keep your skin looking young longer and you're putting on lots of sunblock and covering yourself, then you're, you may not be getting that much vitamin D at all from the sunlight. So even though a lot of people want to stay quote natural, our lives are not, you know, like we're wearing clothes, we're indoors, we wear sunblock, which is all great things and great advancements that help us. But those are just things to consider when you're planning your supplementation. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for everything that you do. I really appreciate people that work for nonprofit organizations that are trying to help others, empower and inspire others, um, to help the animals, to help the planet, to help our health. So thank you so much for everything that you do. It was such a pleasure to meet you. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Hey, veggie lover. I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day.